Hi, this is Mark. I'm one of the senior pastors from Hope Church Malmesbury. I want to personally thank you for downloading or listening online to this sermon cast from Hope Church. We, we share these messages because they really spoke to us. We value their, their content and uh, the anointing that's upon them. And I pray that they bring a fresh revelation of God's love for you today. And if you're able to support the work of Hope Church and the cost of sharing these messages online, then you can go to our website, www.thehope.church give and follow the instructions on that page. And if you're every mum's on a Sunday morning, you will always receive a very warm welcome at Hope Church. And now, let's join today's message. Greetings, Earthlings. Welcome to Hope Online. My name is Mark. I'm one of the lead pastors here, and I'm so pleased that you could join us here today. If you haven't said hello already in the chat, please do so now. Let us know where you're watching from this morning. I don't know why I'm playing the piano in the air. <laughs> Maybe that's how you time. I don't know. Anyway, the promise and the purpose is the name of our series. We're walking slowly, very slowly. You may have noticed through the whole Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And we're still in Luke chapter 3. We're working our way back up through the family tree of Jesus. So this week and last week, they form a a two-part message about Noah and Enoch. And I've called it God's and monsters. And we're dealing with the ancient world before history really got started and a time when giants walked upon the earth. Now, according to Luke, Enoch is listed as being uh, seven generations from from Adam in Jesus's family tree. However, for some context today, I want to start by reading from Hebrews chapter 11, which talks about lots of names that we've been speaking about over the last couple of weeks. So grab your Bibles, open your apps, click those buttons, and we're going to read together from um, Hebrews chapter 11. And it goes like this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God and that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. 
By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even though she was past the age, since she was considered by him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now I was wondering how how to describe Enoch, and I kept coming back to the phrase unsung hero, which got me thinking about some other unsung heroes. Mary Jackson was born in 1921 in Virginia, and in 1951 she became a computer for NASA. Now, I don't, not, don't mean she, she turned into a Windows PC. She was a human computer. That was the name given to her and one, um, you know, many other, mainly women, who just did math sums all day long to calculate whatever needed to be calculated by NASA. She successfully petitioned to be allowed to attend a night school at the all-white Hampton High School to get an engineering degree, and she became NASA's first black female engineer in 1958 and she went on to work on the Mercury and the Apollo space programs. Now when IBM brought in one of their fancy new computers, you know electronic computers, to calculate the rocket trajectory to get astronaut John Glenn into orbit around the earth for the very first time, he asked Mary Jackson to check the numbers produced by the IBM machine before he would get into his rocket. However until about 2016, the work of Mary and many of the other women in the NASA program went pretty unnoticed until a film was made that told the story of all of these unsung heroes. And you can see Mary Jackson's story in the movie Hidden Figures. If you haven't seen it, I fully recommend it. Now here's about another unsung hero. His name is Jim. Jim was born in Scotland in 1949. His family moved back to Rhodesia in time for him to attend secondary school while he was there. And as he grew up, he went to America to attend university before returning to Rhodesia to complete his national service in the army and finally moved back to England in 1977, just in time to watch Star Wars when it first came out in the cinema. For 26 years, Jim served the children of Bermondsey through the Salmon Youth Centre. For 36 years, Jim served as a volunteer in the Army Cadet Force, retiring, having reached the rank of captain, and having helped literally thousands of young boys and girls, young men and women, develop their skills and their confidence, and maybe springboard themselves into a career in the armed forces. Now, for, for as long as I knew Jim, Jim served in his local church, running the children and youth ministry. Not not up front, not in the spotlight, not holding a microphone or a guitar, but behind the scenes, making sure all the admin was done, that the rotors were organised, that the volunteers were recruited and trained. The first person who ever invited me to serve in church was Jim. When he asked me to help teach in the Sunday school, at the little evangelical church I started to go to when I was 17. Jim served, and he encouraged others to do the same. Thousands of lives were affected by Jim. Jim is one of the unsung heroes in God's kingdom. 
So today we're concluding our two-part message, Gods and Monsters, and turning to this mysterious unsung hero in the Bible called Enoch. So who was Enoch? Well, Enoch is one of the unsung heroes of our faith. He's included in the great Faith Hall of Fame that we read in Hebrews chapter 11. His story is quoted or referenced by Jude in his letter in Peter. And I think the writings of Paul are clearly influenced by Enoch's story. Yet apart from being mentioned in genealogies, the only reference I find to Enoch in the Old Testament in my Bible is this, Genesis chapter 5. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. And Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus the days of Jared were 962 years and then he died. And, and Enoch, he lived 65 years when he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. Yeah, there's that phrase from last week, isn't it? Enoch walked with God, just like Noah. Enoch walked with God after he had fathered Methuselah 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch, he walked with God and he was not, for God took him. So how come the writers of the New Testament appear to know so much about Enoch and yet he really hardly appears at all in our Bible? Well, to answer that question, we need to understand a little bit about where our Bible comes from. So generally speaking, the Old Testament, in most modern translations of the Bible, is based on what's called the Masoretic Text, okay, which is the Old Testament in Hebrew, yeah, the, the Jewish Scriptures. And the Masoretic Text itself started to be compiled from about 100 AD through to, well, pretty much in its present form by about, the, about 1000 AD, so about a 900-year project. And, and they needed to bring together all the Jewish scriptures. Um, you know, and it was, it was driven in part by a desire to defend against Christianity. Yeah, one, of, one of the rabbis that was, that was driving this, you know, we need to get all of our scriptures together into one volume. Yeah, that's what they're trying to do. Rabbi Akiba said, the Masorah, this, this binding together of our scriptures, it is a fence about the law to defend themselves against this rise of Christianity. Now, ironically, what started off as trying to be a kind of defence and a wall against Christianity has turned into one of the most valuable resources we have for, because as Christians it's given us, you know, the Jewish scriptures in their entirety. So the Old Testament that's in your Bible is probably a translation of this Masoretic text uh, and, and a version of it that's known as the Leningrad Codex, which was compiled about a thousand years ago. But in the first century after the birth of Jesus, this Masoretic text didn't exist. There was no master scroll that contained all of the Jewish scriptures. Instead, there were many individual scrolls, individual books. You know, here's Genesis, here's Ezekiel, here's Isaiah, here's Deuteronomy. Not every synagogue would have copies of all of them. And there were also other books that were widely read and known, some were considered as holy scripture, others were viewed as records of things that had happened, but this particular document is not necessarily the inspired word of God. Now, let me give you a couple of examples, and hopefully this will make things clear. 
So here's one example that that we find in the Bible today. In James chapter 4 verse 5 it says, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. You might be familiar with that, that passage. But if you search for that that quotation that James uses, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he made to dwell in us, you won't find it anywhere in your Bible. Yeah, he was James is referring to a scripture that never made it into the Masoretic text. So there were documents available in the synagogues in the first century that were considered, even by the writers of the New Testament, to be scripture that never made it into the Masoretic text and never made it into our Old Testament as it went through this kind of editing process. And some of the scrolls, you know, the books that were read by the writers of the New Testament related to stories that were considered to be two true stories, but the book itself wasn't considered to be Holy Scripture. Let me give you another example to kind of explain what I mean. So you may have heard me and Lydia raving about this TV show, The, the Chosen, which shows that tells the story of Jesus and his disciples. Now, so the script for The Chosen TV show is clearly not Holy Scripture, right? So you know, some blokes sat in a room, uh, a lady, you know, people sat in a room and they wrote it down. But the story that it tells is true at its core, even if there are some kind of dramatic embellishments that go around the outside. So you could watch The Chosen and you would learn truths about God and Jesus and his life story here upon earth, even to the point of learning enough to to come to faith in Jesus to become a Christian, because it's telling a story that is true. Now, in a similar vein, there's a a document that was very well known and, and, and popular at the time that the New Testament was being written called the Book of Enoch. And it's quoted several times by Peter and by Jude. Yeah, it, it was very well known in the first century. And it's a book that tells a story that is true. And, and in fact, a story that was central to the way that Jews at the time of Jesus saw and understood the whole world. But it didn't get included in the Masoretic text and didn't get included in our Bibles because it wasn't considered uh, inspired, literal you know, words of God. So you see, the story of Enoch, it explains why God sends the flood at the time of Noah and where demons come from and where the powers and the principalities that Paul says we wrestle against come from. If you were to go into the average church in England, assuming post-COVID we're all meeting together, and ask an average kind of Christian, why did God send the flood? They would probably answer, well, because of the fall. Adam and Eve ate of the fruit in Genesis chapter 3 and sin came into the world. But if you were to jump in your TARDIS and go in a time machine back to the first century and ask a first century Jew or a first century Christian from a Jewish background the same question, why did God send the flood? They would probably say, actually, the reason of the flood is actually Genesis chapter 6, when sin was multiplying upon the earth. So let's just read that section from Genesis chapter 6. It goes like this, starting at verse 1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any that they chose. And then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. 
when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men of old, the men of renown. So the story that's told in the book of Enoch gives a great amount of detail that sits behind this very brief summary that we read in the book of Genesis. And I'll run through a couple of the highlights for you now. But if you want to dig into it in more detail, then take a look at the sermon series called Spiritual Warfare. It's on the Hope Church website in the Sermon Archive. And the first two sermons in that series go into this kind of part of history in a lot more detail. So we go to the Hope Church website. If you look at the top on the right hand side, there's a link that says sermons and series. If you click on that and it takes you to another page where there is like a logo for every single sermon series that we've ever done. Just scroll down to one that's called Spiritual Warfare. Click on that and you can find all the all the sermons there. So here's a brief summary of the story that's told in the book of one Enoch. It starts off by saying that the sons of God from Genesis chapter six, these are the Ben Elohim in Hebrew, they are spiritual beings, angels you could call them. They're created by God and they come down to earth to a place called Mount Hermon. And and while they're there, they do two things. First of all, this group of angelic beings, they they form a pact amongst themselves to say, we're going to marry some human women and have children with them. And the second thing they do is that they start to teach humankind all kinds of things that people didn't know previously. Things like sorcery and, and witchcraft and the art of seduction and pornography and how to create weapons of warfare, even how to perform abortions. Now, the list actually goes on. And so the corruption of all flesh and the explosion of wickedness that causes God to send the flood on Noah's generation. The catalyst for this reign of evil is the knowledge that is given to humans by these angels that are rebelling against Yahweh. And in response to the angel's sin, God places them in prison, in chains deep underground. And Jude alludes to this in the New Testament when he says in Jude verse 6, he says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual, sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So this is kind of what happened to those angels that that sinned. And the book of Enoch goes on to say that the children that were born as a result of this union between angelic beings and human women, these were the Nephilim, the the giants of ancient history, these creatures that are hybrids between spiritual beings and humans. Uh, and, And in fact, more than that, when these giants died, their spirits continue to live upon the earth and these spirits became the demons, the evil spirits that torment people um, in the Bible and we see this in the New Testament. So if you've ever wondered where demons come from, that's your answer. They're the disembodied spirits of the, the Nephilim from ancient times. So the sons of God who descended down onto Mount Hermon and they caused all of these problems yeah, they're also referred to by the title of watchers in the book of Enoch. And that, that word is usually described as one in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. And this kind of gives a sense of what their job description was supposed to be. They're supposed to be watching over and protecting mankind. Instead, they abuse their position and they lead mankind astray. 
Yeah, and this is in fact just continuing the pattern that was first started in the Garden of Eden when the tempter comes to Eve and offers some forbidden knowledge. And the, and the watchers on Mount Hermon do exactly the same. They offer forbidden knowledge to mankind, which results in society just spiralling into a decay, resulting in God sending the flood to kind of hit the, the restart button or the, or the reboot civilization in order to kind of wipe away the infection, just like you'd reboot a computer to get rid of a, a computer virus. Now, I mentioned last week how the, the cultural memory of many, many civilizations includes stories of a great flood, pointing to the common, you know, kind of the truth of this, attested to by the fact that it's passed down from all these different civilizations. Um, and, and the same is true about the story told in the Book of Enoch. You know, the arrival of the watchers on the earth and the birth of the Nephilim and these kind of ancient giants is recorded in other ancient writings as, as well, in ways that really closely parallel. Uh, the story that's told there. For example, in ancient Mesopotamian religion, it talks about um, the Ap- Apkula, okay, the Apkula, the creatures of great power and wisdom that came down to earth from heaven before they flood, and they taught mankind magic and omens and medicine, and they had children with human women. So the Book of Enoch says that God sent an angel, okay, to visit with, with Enoch and then take him on a tour of uh, all of creation and including he goes down to the prison where these watchers these these uh, rebelling angels are held in prison awaiting their judgment and this and this is one of the ideas that's picked up in the books of jude and peter um and this is kind of the point i want to get to by the way that's quite quite a long introduction okay the story recorded in the book of enoch you know the story of enoch's life as it was understood by the people who are writing and reading the new testament first of all it forms the background to Jesus's victory over the powers and principalities in the spiritual realm. Yeah, you, you may well be familiar with this, this idea from scripture that, that Jesus is the second Adam. Yet one man, Adam, brought sin into the world, or one man, Jesus, paid the price for that sin. We read about this in Romans chapter 5. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so Death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Who was the one who was to come? It was Jesus. So also central to the theology of the New Testament writers was this idea that Jesus not only deals with the sin of Adam, but he also deals with the consequences of the sin of the watchers. And that Jesus, who is the true son of God, he exerts his authority over these rebellious sons of God. Peter goes on, he says that Jesus, he went and he declared victory over those rebellious angels. 1 Peter 3, it says, For Christ suffered once for all sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit in which he went to proclaim to those spirits in prison and you know those are the watchers down in 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 darkness he proclaimed to those spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when god's patience waited in the days of noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few that is eight persons were brought safely through the water and baptism which corresponds to this now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to 
God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. See, the story of Enoch is important because it helps us to understand the completeness of the victory of Jesus over the rebellious powers and authorities in the spiritual realm. And it also gives some context to the terrible state that the earth was in that caused God to declare that a flood was needed. Now, when Paul writes in in Galatians about the works of the flesh that need to be avoided in Galatians 5.19, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality and idolatry and sorcery, enmity and strife and jealousy and fits of anger and rivalries and dissensions, divisions and envy, drunkenness and orgies and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But you know what? That list looks an awful lot like the list of things that the watchers taught human beings how to do when they came down onto Mount Hermon before the flood, according to the book of Enoch. So the story of Enoch is a backdrop to to kind of Paul's theology on spiritual warfare. It is the origin of the uh, angels and rulers and powers that we contend against. In Romans 8, Paul says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And understanding where these spiritual powers came from, knowing the damage they caused, on the earth before the flood and appreciating how much they had corrupted mankind it makes the victory of Jesus seem all the more glorious Colossians 2 he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame triumphing over them you see the the purpose of the story of Enoch yeah, the purpose of the story of Enoch is to illuminate the story of Jesus, to frame his victory on the cross as complete, not just reversing the sin of Adam, the rebellion of humans against Yahweh, but also dealing with the sin of the watchers, the rebellion of the spiritual sons of God against Yahweh. And the promise of God, sorry, the promise of Enoch is to know that we can please God, not not by living perfectly because we can't, not by working hard because we can't possibly work hard enough to make a difference, but simply we can please God simply by believing in him because believing loyalty is what our God desires, nothing more. Circling back to Hebrews 11, what does it say about Enoch? It says, by faith, Enoch was taken up So he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And the first part of that sentence makes sense. Yeah, you can't draw near to something if you don't believe it exists, right? You can't draw near to God unless you believe he exists. But the second half, when I really start to think about it, 
I mean, it, it stopped me in my tracks. And just read it again, because I, I don't think you've got it. Turn to whoever you're watching with today and, and ask them, did you get it? Okay, because this, this is what the Bible says. Just just listen, read what it says, okay? It says, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he rewards those who seek him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he rewards those who seek him. In other words, you cannot draw near to God unless you believe that he's going to give you a reward when you do so. You cannot draw near to God unless you believe that he's going to give you a reward when you do so. I mean, do you even believe that you deserve a reward from God? Are you, are you too humbly British? Oh, no, no, let someone else have it. Oh, I really couldn't. I couldn't. No, no, no. After you, after you. Right? I mean, Father God wants to reward you and he wants you to accept that reward. In fact, he doesn't even want you to come near him unless your hands are outstretched to accept the reward as you come. He's not being greedy. He's not being presumptuous. It's how Father God said it must be. That's what that's what the scripture says. And, and to do that, you've got to get past your own feelings of, you know, I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy. And I think that's the point. Because if you feel unworthy, if you feel undeserving, if you feel reluctant in any way to stretch out your hands to accept a reward from Father God, that can only be because you have not truly, completely and fully uh, accepted and believed that Jesus has truly, completely and fully paid the price of all of your sin and failure and that you are truly and completely and fully forgiven and that you are truly and completely and fully loved and that you are truly and completely and fully accepted and that you are truly and completely and fully welcome at the throne of grace and you better have your hands boldly outstretched to receive that reward that father longs to give you right now let's pray father god help us to truly and completely and fully accept your loving kindness and your forgiveness and the rewards that you give to those who seek you and desire to draw near to you. Lord God, we desire to draw near to you now and all of this week ahead. And Father, right now I pray for anyone who has uh, an emotional or a mental stronghold that is getting in the way of them, accepting that they are truly, completely and fully loved by you and truly and completely and fully forgiven by you. Lord God, whatever is stopping us from reaching out our hands to accept the loving rewards that you want to give, give us. Father God, in Jesus' name, I declare that we are set free from those bondages. We are set free from those lies and that we receive your truth, that what the Bible says is that if we want to draw near to you, we must believe that you exist and accept that you reward those who seek you. We seek you, Lord God. And so we receive in faith and gratitude the rewards that you want to give us right now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.
Well, guys, thank you for, for joining us today at Hope Online. We're going to be here every week until we finally get to reopen the doors of our churches. I'm going to close this part of the service now. If you want to chat to a member of the team, if you want to request prayer, just click that request prayer button that's on the screen and it'll open a private chat window and uh, me or Lydia will be able, to, be able to talk to you. We're going to continue to pray for you in the weeks ahead. Thank you for your prayers for us and thank you for your faithful financial support that makes all of this possible and God sees your sacrifice and his word promises that the seeds that you sow will yield a harvest now may the Lord bless you and keep you may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace now our midweek services and events you can find them on Facebook and on YouTube we've got communion on the couch Monday evening with me and Lydia at 7 30 the ladies who lead will be back at 10 o'clock on Tuesday morning. Go with God this week. Seek him with your arms outstretched to receive the reward that he wants to give to you. Be good, be happy, be healthy, be holy. And we'll see you soon. Bye for now.